Today we are continuing in our series called Make Your Own Mistakes, Don't Make Mine. And uh, the, the, we're talking about today the lack of self-control leads to destruction. We're talking about Samson. And the main thing today is immaturity says do what feels good. Maturity says do what honors God. And when I think about America in 2022, I think no one in the Bible personifies that better than Samson. Samson was, uh, he was imbued with the spirit of God, the strength, uh, uh, unnatural strength by God, yet he lacked the self-control. He did whatever felt good. He went with impulses. He let his appetite Appetites rule his actions, and it led to unbelievable destruction. And when I look at, at, at our society, how we are just driven by do what feels good, go with your heart, um, uh, do whatever makes you happy instead of what honors God, I, I, it's like Samson is a poster child for America in 2022. And we are going to follow him to destruction. If we don't learn his lesson, his, the story in the Bible is there for a reason. In Judges 13, 1 through 5, this is, what, this is the story of Samson. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. Certain men of Zorah named Manoah from the clan of the Danites had a wife who was childless, unable to give birth. Angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, You are barren and childless, but you are going to become pregnant and give birth to a son. Now see to it that you drink no wine or fermented drink, that you may do not eat anything unclean. You will become pregnant and have a son whose head is never to be touched by a razor, because the boy is to be a Nazarite, dedicated to God from the womb. He will take the lead in delivering Israel from the hands of the Philistines. And if you guys know the story of Sam, the, the big, strong guy, no, you know, long hair, the strength, he killed lions and, and everything. However, he was completely undisciplined. He did not have self-control. And his penchant for women and for going with his appetites completely destroyed him. He was not able to discern what it was right and what would honor God. He just went with his Heart. He did what felt good, and his stories in the in the book of Judges. Dave Ramsey says this. He says, "Children do what feels good. Adults devise a plan and stick to it." All right. So I want to contrast Samson, the, the, basically the two strongest people in the Bible, Samson and Jesus. Samson had the spirit of God, was completely undisciplined. Jesus had the spirit of God and kept himself under control. Jesus was able to accomplish a mission, was able to do things, keep that power in check, and keep his eye on the prize. Samson was not able to do that. That's why Jesus is our, our, our uh, example and not Samson. So there are, as, as Samson went with his gut and his immaturity, we learn five things that we must do as we move from immaturity to maturity, as we move from childhood to adulthood, as we move from thinking like children to thinking like adults. And this is a very, very necessary thing for us. In 1 Corinthians 13, 11, Paul writes this, when I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. So the first change that has to happen, if we're not going to follow Samson, if we're going to move from immaturity to maturity is this, the ability to follow through on commitments. The ability to follow through on commitments. 
Now, most of us would, would agree with the statement that we're much better at starting things than finishing things. We're very good at starting diets. We're very good, bad at finishing them. We're very good at getting on a budget. We're very bad at staying on a budget. We're very good about making big plans. We're very bad at following through on them. Well, that is one change that, that we need to make, the ability to follow through on commitments. The Apostle Paul wrote this in Acts 20, verse 24. I, our, I consider my life worth nothing to me. He says, I don't care what happens to me. My life is worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task is testifying to the good news of God's grace. Now, Christians, your character, your character, the, the sum total of your being is made up of the things you commit yourself to. That is your character. It doesn't matter what you think, it doesn't matter what you're, you're good at, it doesn't matter what you're talented at, it doesn't matter. It, none of those things matter. The only thing that matters are the things you commit yourself to. Now, Christian's character is built upon two things. Commitment to God's general, Jesus, uh, sorry, commitment to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and commitment to his purpose for you. Those two commitments make the Christian's character. Commitment to, to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I pray that everybody in here is committed to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I pray there's not one unsafe person in this building. I know that that's a, a, a bad assumption. I know there are people here who have not made that commitment yet. I'm going to ask you to do that because that is, that is the first thing for a Christian character. The second is his commitment to, to his purposes for you. See, guys, people come to me all the time and say, hey, I want to know what God's will is. I want to know what God's will for my life. And I'm like, well, there are two, actually two parts to that. There's God's general will for everyone, that's, that's for every single person here and every person that's ever lived. And then there's his specific will for you individually. Now, the general will that we see in the Bible is for all to be saved, for all to confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, for all to be baptized, all to, to repent of their sins, all to live by the Ten Commandments, to live lives that are holy and pleasing to God, to decide. That is God's general will for everyone. There's not one person on this planet that doesn't apply to. General will. But the second is his specific will for you. Individually, there is a will for you personally that is not for me. And it's not for the person sitting next to you. It's for you individually. The first thing about God's specific will that we have to commit ourselves to, first thing we have to understand, is that God's specific will for you will never contradict his general will for everybody. Okay? I hate to break it to you, but uh, God's specific will doesn't mean that you're going to sleep with a married man or woman. Okay, that you say, well, you know, I think God wants us to be together. Well, is that against his general will? Well, then it's not his specific will for you. Okay, God, God's specific will for you doesn't mean backstabbing someone to get to the top. Well, I think God wants me to be the CEO of this company, and I got to backstab someone to do it. No, that is not his specific will for you. It never contradicts God's general will. God's specific will for me was to be a pastor. That was my calling a husband, a father, to do missions, to conduct marriage conferences like we did yesterday. That's God's specific will for me. That's not for you all, okay? That's just specifically for me. Uh, God's specific will may be for you to be single. That may be his will for you. Marriage isn't for everyone. You, if, you're, if, if God's specific will for you to be single, is, is if that's what it is, well, you're in really good company because Jesus was single, Paul was single. Most of the apostles were single, okay? There's, that's perfectly fine. That God's specific will is unique to you. However, Christians commit to that as passionately as they commit to God's general will. 
It's both and, not either or. You can't say, well, I, you know, I, I like that whole God wants me to be saved and have anything, but his specific will for me, eh, I'm not into that. Or, well, God, I have this specific will for me, but I'm just not into the whole saving thing. No, no, no. It's both and, not either or. Don't confuse the two, though. I've run into people that think God's specific will for them is God's general will for everybody. Um, and people who don't get on board with them, they think everyone's lukewarm. I've run into people who think that if you don't go overseas to missions, that you're just denying the Great Commission. God told us to go in the world and make all disciples. If you're not going to all the world, you're lukewarm. I've, I've, I've run into that. I've run into people that think if you don't foster children, if you're not a foster parent or adoptive parent, well, you, you know, James 1.17 says, uh, 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 says that, uh, you know, the pure religion is this, to look after the orphan and the widow. And if you're not doing that, you're outside of God's will. You're lukewarm. I've had that happen. That's, see, guys, those are God's specific will for specific people, not for everyone. So the ability to follow through on commitments, commitment to God's general will for everyone and God's specific will for you is the first mark of maturity. I've dealt with grown people who can't follow through on commitments. So have you. I've dealt with Christians who can't follow through on commitments. Some of the most frustrating people in the world. The Bible refers to them as splintered reeds on who will pierce the hand of anyone who leans on them. That's, a, that's an amazing analogy. Um, but see, Jesus gives us a completely different example than, than the splintered reed or the person that can't follow through on commitments. Jesus was committed to the salvation of everyone. He committed to that. That was what he was here for. He didn't bug out. He didn't allow hardship to stop him. He didn't take the easy way out. He didn't drop the ball. He was committed to saving the world, and he followed through on that commitment. And our commitment to him needs to be the same as his commitment to us. The ability to follow through on commitments is the first change that we, that we have to make as we move from childhood to adult, as we move from immaturity to maturity with Jesus as our example. The second change that has to happen is this, the ability to delay gratification. Philippians 3.19, I love this. It, Paul writes this, their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and the glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. Now, why, what does that have to do with delaying gratification? Well, it's amazing. I was a sophomore in college, and I was living in the Beta Theta Pi fraternity house. Um, and uh, uh, three of us decided to do a Bible study together in a fraternity house. Imagine that. Miracles do happen. Um, one of the guys, who's a junior, who'd been very committed to Christ in high school and kind of lost his way in college and was kind of on his way back, but he was... Uh, kind of struggling with on his way back. Super nice guy who's on the soccer team with me and everything. Great guy. And uh, he, he came to the Bible study. And he was still hungover from the night before. And he, he, he plopped down. And he just sat there with a big, huge headache and everything. And he, and he quoted this verse, Philippians 3.19. And he said, guys, this verse is me. And I said, well, what, what do you mean? He said, well, if I keep going this route, my destiny's destruction. He goes, uh, I, I just went with what I wanted. My God that I followed was my stomach, my appetites. And I actually took glory in the things that I should be ashamed about. And I was like, wow. It's amazing. He says, I, I, my, I, I, this verse is me. And right now, Holy Spirit of God is really sitting on me heavy, guys. Because he just showed me my future. 
because I couldn't delay gratification. I just went with whatever I felt with uh, at the party. And he goes, my destination is destruction. And Samson was a poster boy for this. He went with whatever felt good at the moment. He saw a beautiful woman, told his mom and dad, that's going to be my wife, go get her for me. Because back then you didn't really do the courtship thing. It was kind of the arranged marriage thing. He didn't, he didn't ask God about if this was my uh, life partner, didn't look at her character, didn't look at what type of, of person she was, didn't look at whether they were even compatible, whether that this was a good thing. He saw a beautiful woman, get her for me, I want to I marry her right now. That was exactly what the way Samson worked. He didn't consider the consequences, whatever crossed his mind at the moment. And like the scripture says, his destination was destruction. Church, listen to me, I implore you, as your pastor, as your friend, as a person who loves you, please, please, don't sacrifice what you want most for what you can have now. Don't sacrifice what you want most for what you can have now, the temptation to sacrifice what you want most, your dreams, your goal, your God's purpose for you. Sacrifice that for what you can have now is one of the biggest things we will continually deal with in this life. Remember, if God wants a dandelion, he can make it overnight. He wants an oak tree, it takes years and decades. When Satan was tempting Jesus in the wilderness, Satan dangled what Jesus could have now in front of him. He'd been fasting and he was, uh, he, he was hungry. And so Satan said, hey, make these rocks into bread. Have some bread. I know you're hungry. Sacrifice, the, sacrifice what God wants for you, for what you can have now, Jesus. Satan tempted Jesus to do that. And you say, what's wrong with bread? Nothing, except it wasn't in God's plan for him. And that if he compromised with Satan on one thing, much more likely to compromise with another. Jesus made no deals with an evil person, no matter what the evil person was offering. Right, Satan tempts Jesus to display his power and gain the fame. Hey, throw yourself off this temple. Throw yourself, and the angels will pick you up, and everybody will believe in you, Jesus. You'll get the fame, you'll get the glory, you'll get clicks, you'll, get, you'll, get, you'll go viral on social media. Jesus said, no, it's not my mission. Praise and glory will come later. I'm the son of God. There's plenty of praise and glory coming my way. But right now, I'm going to delay that gratification, and I'm going to accomplish what God has for me now which is the salvation of everybody. My job is to save people from sin, from death, and hell. It's not to have a popularity contest. That will come later. Right now, I have a mission to accomplish, and that is our example. As we move from immaturity to maturity, we delay gratification. We stop chasing after what we can have now, and instead we go after what we want most, which is God's will for us. All right? Children fall for that every time because they aren't able to delay gratification. Like Samson, they'll go with whatever feels good in the moment, no regard to anything else. The ability to delay gratification, to work for years, to achieve a goal, to, uh, uh, to refuse to be sidetracked by the quick and the easy, that's maturity. And parents, you need to teach your children that. Disciples in the church, we need to teach young Christians that. Okay? The third change is this. The ability to sacrifice for a greater purpose. Ability to sacrifice for a greater purpose. John 10, 11 through 15, Jesus writes this. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is, is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when the, he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep. My sheep know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. 
Jesus says, listen, I am, the, I, I am a, 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 an adult, I am the example, and I will lay my life down for someone and something greater than me. The ability to sacrifice for a cause greater than yourself. Who are the heroes of the stories that we love? My two favorite movies, I think the best movies ever made, Braveheart from the 90s and Hacksaw Ridge. Those are my two favorite movies. I don't think any movie can touch them. You guys can disagree with it, and you can be wrong, and that's fine. All right? But uh, my, those are my two favorite movies, and I realize why I liked them so much. They had this strong hero that was able to completely sacrifice himself for something greater. It was amazing. William Wallace laid down his life for, to, to save Scotland from tyranny. Uh, uh, Desmond Doss, the hero of Hacksaw Ridge, rushed into enemy fire un, unarmed to save people uh, from death. He saved more than 75 people um, uh, that, that night in Hacksaw Ridge. These are the stories we love. Why? Because that's the story of Jesus. That is the story of God. That is the story of the Bible of Jesus sacrificing himself to save the world. That is it. See, immaturity, you guys, will keep you focused on yourself, on what you can get, on, on, on how things benefit you. It'll become your whole filter for how you view things. Well, this is good because, uh, because I'm getting what I want, and this is bad because I'm not getting what I want. Um, God is good when I get what I want, and God is bad or non-existent when I don't. That's what immaturity says. That's what the filter that immaturity, uh, that's, that's the filter that you view everything uh, through with immaturity. And moving from immaturity to maturity, we move from wanting others to sacrifice for us to sacrificing ourselves for a greater purpose. In fact, now I'll speak to the men in here. I, 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 I don't know uh, if the ladies feel the same way, but I know that, that, that the men do. I, I think this is our dream, honestly, to sacrifice ourselves for something greater than ourselves. I, I used to, it's something amazing about giving our lives to serve others. Something really just makes your heart beat, man, uh, about serving, about sacrificing uh, to, to save other people. I, I used to think that was maybe was watching too many movies, too many superhero movies, or reading too many superhero comic books, and, and, and that was kind of a pipe dream, that I'd, I'd read too much of that, and that's why I wanted to do that. That's why I wanted to, to serve, and I, wanted, I would love to die uh, serving someone or saving someone. Uh, why, why that was so appealing to me, I, I thought maybe, well, you just watched too many movies or read too many comic books. Well, then I realized that I'm made in God's image, and being made in God's image means you want to do what Jesus did. And what did Jesus do? Jesus sacrificed himself. He died to save people, and it's only natural that people made in his image would want to do the same. It's not some hero complex. It's not some, oh, you, you've read too many superhero books. No, that is the story written on our heart as adults, because that's what the Son of God did. Right? It doesn't mean, just mean sacrificing your life, though. It means your time, your money, your energy, your passion for something bigger than you. But see, immaturity, especially spiritual immaturity, will keep us focused on ourselves, what we want, how to benefit us, all of our resources for us, all of our time for us, all of our commitments for us. If it doesn't benefit us, it's wrong. That's what immaturity says. Maturity says the opposite. In his book, Choosing to Cheat, Andy Stanley writes about this very clearly. He writes about the, 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 the adults in the room. And if I, was to, if I was to ask for a show of hands, is there any person in here that does not love their family? 
It does not love the people around you. Not one of you would say no. I don't love my family. I, don't, I, I just don't care about them. That's not, that would not be a single person in here. Okay? But, you, and you, you may say they drive me crazy, which is true. But every person here would say well, that you love your family. But Annie Stanley writes this. The problem is you love your family with your heart, but not with your schedule. And they can't see your heart. So some questions for the adults in the room. Do our families see us sacrificing ourselves for them? Do, do our families see us putting aside selfishness and our own pursuits to do what God wants us to do? Not what people want us to do, not what society says for us to do, but what God wants us to do. Um, do are, are our days and weeks and months structured so that we get whatever we want? Have you moved in the territory where you're able to sacrifice for a cause greater than yourself? One of the things that shaped me as, as, as a pastor and as a human being several years ago, I've mentioned it several times and I'll keep mentioning it, was the study that, that they surveyed 50 people over age 95 and they asked a simple question. What was one thing you'd do if you had to do it over? What would you do different? And there's a lot of responses, but three Responses kind of clustered were the most common. The first one, they would reflect more. Second one, they would risk more. And the third thing, which was golden, they would do more things that would outlive them. They realized at age 95 that the risk they took, really, the failure wasn't really all that big and bad. The, the, the biggest regrets were the things they didn't have the guts to try. Their biggest regrets were the things they didn't do, not the things they tried and failed. But they cued in on the third one. They would do more things that would outlive them. They would sacrifice themselves for things that were greater than them. They would invest more in their grandchildren. They would invest more in their community. They would invest more in bringing people to the foot of the cross. They said those were the things at age 95, after looking back on a life of, of basic selfishness, those were the things that matter now sacrificing yourself for a greater cause. And listen, people, we are going to join them. We're going to join those 95-year-olds looking back saying, I wish we would have invested, we would have done more things that outlive us. We will join them unless we make the change now. As we move from immaturity to maturity, we begin the process of sacrificing ourselves for things bigger than us, following the example of Jesus. So my question is, we all know God's general will. Your God's specific will for you. What does he want you to sacrifice yourself for? Sacrifice your time, sacrifice your energy, sacrifice your money, your passion. What huge thing that is greater than you is God calling you as a mature person to give yourself to? You say, well, I'm, I'm looking at my life, and most of it's pretty self-centered. I, I do what I want. I spend money on myself. I, do, I, I, I don't do anything I don't want to do. Uh, I, I'm pretty self-focused right now. Well, God is calling you out of that. The ability to sacrifice yourself for something greater than you is one major mark, third mark of maturity. The fourth change that has to happen is this, is the ability to be a provider 1 Timothy 5.8 says, if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for his immediate family, he's denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. All right, I want to tell you how awful my kids are. You want to know how awful they are? When my daughter was born, she came into the world screaming and yelling and hollering and demanding that her needs be met and never once said thank you. Can you believe that? My infant daughter 
would not even say thank you. She didn't pay any bills. She didn't put any food on the table. I mean, she was five hours old, and I couldn't believe that she was such a taker. I changed my first diaper. She didn't even say thank you. And guys, that's the way God set it up. When we're children, when we're infants, when we're children, we are takers. We are consumers. That's the way God set it up. It's natural. We take more. If you're a parent and you have children, you understand that they leave the lights on and you pay for it, right? That, 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 that country song, every light in the house is on. Yeah, that's my house. That's, that's my house, yeah. And, and we pay for it. Why? Because we're the adults in the room. Okay, when you are, it is a necessary stage when you're a child to be a taker, to be a consumer. Children take more than they produce. That's the way God set it up. But as we mature physically, we have to move from being consumers to being producers. Okay, that's the way, that, that, that is what we have to do. When we're kids, we don't pay the rent or the mortgage. When we're adults, we do. Right, that's the stage of life that we're in. However, as we move from childhood to adulthood, adulthood, God calls us to move out of this consuming phase into providing. That is, the, that is one of the marks of maturity. We begin giving more than we receive in life, in family, in the church, in our places of business. If you are a person that is consuming more than you are producing, you are still in the immature phase. And that's okay if that, if that is the stage of life you're in. But I know Christians that have been Christians for 30, 40 years that are still consuming more than they are producing. Consume sermons, consume worship, consume uh, uh, things like this, but are not producing any disciples, not producing any ministry, nothing. Still children. See, we, when, when you begin to be a provider, it's more than just paying bills. You begin making our resources available to others. When you're a producer, when you put in more than you take out when you're an adult, your resources become available to others. Uh, that is in every aspect of our lives, in our families. Our resources are available to our families and not just us. Um, in our places of work, that our resources, our wisdom, our mentoring is more available than, 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 uh, than anything else. In our church, your resources are available. What ministry needs to be done? I am a producer. I'm not a consumer. I'm a producer. What needs to be done? Children's ministry needs volunteers. I will become a provider. A worship team needs people. I will be a provider. Um, the, uh, bills need to be paid. I will be a provider. We have ministry going on over in India. I will be a provider. I'll sponsor a child. I'll rescue a child out of poverty because I'm not a consumer. I am a producer, and I will do these things with no expectation of reward or thanks because that's just who I am. I'm a mature adult in Christ, and therefore I am a producer, not a consumer. All right? On Tuesday, two days from now, three of us from this church, we got sold a really bad bill of goods. Y'all know what we're going to do? We're heading to India on a mission trip. Now, to tell you that this is a bad deal, this is like a, a used car salesman's uh, dream come true. You want to know the bill of sale that we, you know, we got sold? We had to pay money. We didn't, we're not getting paid for this. We had to pay money to go over there. We had to buy plane tickets. We are going to, uh, uh, we're going to travel to the other side of the world. It's going to be like 30 hours in the plane. 
um, from, from Chicago to New Delhi. It's like 14 or 15, 16 hours in the plane. We're gonna, we're gonna go over there. We're gonna go to a, a country that doesn't like Christians very much. They don't like people that believe like me, right? And, and we're gonna be met by people that offer us nothing. Offer us nothing. We'll be visiting people who've been neglected and sidelined. We'll be uh, uh, serving in a leper colony. We're gonna go to a colony for the blind. We're gonna be ministering to special needs children and elderly people that can't do a thing for us. Talk about a bad deal we just got sold. We'll be teaching about 500 pastors how to minister to their families, not lose their families to the rigors of ministry and to persecution, and there's not a thing in it for us. I think I'm gonna stay home because there's nothing in it for me. See, that's what a child would say. But a producer would say, no, this is what God wants me to do. My resources, my time, my energy are available to what God wants, and therefore, we will do all of this with no benefit to ourselves, but simply because this is what God wants. This is God's command, this is God's specific will for us, and then we're gonna go do it for no benefit to ourselves. We'll be visiting our current orphanage and we're gonna be inaugurating another one. We're going to be able to double the ministry we've been doing. For those of you that don't know the ministry over in India, in 2012, I felt a burden on my heart to teach pastors how to plant churches. We had just planted Catalyst and I felt this passion on the other side of the world to go to countries where seminaries and Bible colleges weren't available, where, where countries, countries where it's difficult to be a Christian and just kind of pass on what I'd learned. That was my passion back in 2012. And I went over to Nepal and India and did my first mission trip over there. And we started a partnership with the orphanage there. And for 10 years, that, that was in 2012, for 10 years we've been partnering with the mission there. In that 10 years, we've planted more than 780 churches in India, Pakistan, uh, uh, Nepal, and, uh, and Bangladesh, and pastors that have been at our conferences. We've, we've rescued more than 150 children out of poverty. And we're about to start doing that, and we're gonna double that with starting a new orphanage. Since 2015, the, our, we don't have records before then because we switched over to a financial system. I don't have the records there, but since 2015, we, this church, in individual donations, has sent more than $165,000 to that ministry to rescue children out of poverty, to provide food, to provide clothing, education for them, to support pastors that are persecuted. It's amazing what has gone on over there and has not benefited us one bit, but that's because we are producers. We're not consumers. And watching what God is doing over on that side of the world in persecuted countries, in the 10th most difficult country to be a Christian in, as, we're, as marked by the, uh, by the voice of the martyrs. India is the 10th most difficult country to be a Christian in. We've seen this amazing ministry flourishing, and I can't wait to go see it. But the ability to be a provider, to stop asking what's in it for me, and start asking what does God want me to do with what he's given me. See, children ask what's in it for me. Adults ask, how does God want me to use what he's given me? Jesus never once asked what's in it for him. Not once did he say, what is going to the cross gonna get for me? What, what is teaching this crowd gonna do for me? He never did that once. Jesus was the ultimate provider. He gave far more than he ever took, and he continues to bless us more than we'll ever give back to him. The church must be full of people who are providers. A church full of consumers won't last very long. If you are in your home, if you have a home full of consumers and no one's providing, your home's gonna be in disarray. In the same way, 
People come to church and take and take and take. They're going to destroy it. If your home is full of takers and no providers to fall apart, same is true of the church. And we need people in the church who have moved from immaturity to maturity, whose resources and time and energy are available to what God wants them to do. Huge change and huge maturing needs to happen. The fifth one is this, the ability to reproduce your character in others. This is the ultimate mark of maturity. Ultimate mark. Philippians 4.9, Paul says this, whatever you've learned or received from, heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. See, childhood is full of learning and acquiring skills and knowledge and developing character, but adulthood is when you take what you, your character, your character, what you believe, the things that are important to you, your values, your goals, your faith, your skills, and you make them live and breathe in someone else other than yourself. That's what adulthood is is that's how you know you're you're an adult that's how you know you're that, that you're maturing is that you can take your character and make it live in someone other than you there's nothing more fulfilling and satisfying than that see jesus had 12 disciples and he took his his character and he made it live and breathe in them and they took that character and they made it live and breathe and those people took that character and made it live and breathe and now 2.1 billion people on the planet called jesus christ lord and savior because of this aspect all right there's no record of samson ever investing in a person other than himself Never, not one instance in scripture does Samson say, hey, I want to show you how to do this. I want to, I want to make this uh, dedication to God live in you. No, not once. He was all about himself. His skills, his knowledge, all died with him. And so many people in the church, that is going to be their story. Everything that they've heard, every sermon they've heard, every Bible study, every prayer, everything they know about Jesus Christ is going to die with them because they've never had the joy of living, letting that live and breathe in someone else. Truly nothing more satisfying in life than seeing your character live in another person, a skill you taught them, a value you hold dear. As a dad, some of the best times I've ever had were out in the backyard with my kids, teaching them skills, kicking the soccer ball with my, with my kids or going out on the tennis court with my oldest. I'm a terrible tennis player, and she could beat me at eight, at, when she was 11. It was really embarrassing when your 11-year-old daughter beats you, and it doesn't just beat you, kills you on the tennis court. It's a really bad, humbling thing for a dad. But uh, I remember taking my son deer hunting for the first time, watching a big buck step out, watching him line it up, watching him do everything I taught him to do, exhale, trigger control, watching him drop that deer, watching him celebrate, watching him do, do, the, do the, the cleaning and everything like that, watching him celebrate. There's nothing greater than watching someone, than watching what you know live in someone else. And for the Christian, there is nothing greater than watching someone that you have led to Christ, someone that you have discipled, take that and, 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 and live it. But so many of us will never have that joy because we don't understand that faith is something to be passed on, not to be held on to. Knowledge is not supposed to die with you. Your morals, your character are not supposed to die with you. They're meant to be shared just as it was shared with you. I, I heard a definition of a Christian one time. A Christian is simply someone who refuses to be the last one to hear about Jesus Christ. I love that. And just as a father teaches his son the skills he has on the battlefield, the Christian teaches others the beliefs and values of the Christian faith. Knowledge and faith are meant, not meant to die with you. Have a church full of people that are capable of reproducing their character and letting that faith live in other people is just a pastor's dream. 
Love it. The greatest church growth strategy. Everybody hears about how the church is in decline, the church is in decline, the church is in decline. Y'all have heard that, right? The rise of the nuns, not the, like the habit-wearing people, the N-O-N-E-S, the rise of the nuns. Well, the greatest church growth strategy may not be going out in the street corner and preaching. I think the greatest church growth strategy would be to stop losing Christian young people who are already in the church. What if churches took seriously the passing on of faith to the people that are already here? What if parents took discipleship of their children seriously? What if they, they, they realized that the world is trying to pull them, their children away and, and indoctrinate them with all kinds of ungodly things and instead began mentoring and discipling their children? What if, we could, what, what if that happened? I think church would look completely different. I think this world would look completely different if we simply did what Jesus said to do, to make disciples. Okay, guys, the main thing, Immaturity says do what feels good, but maturity says do what honors God. We have to make these five transitions from immaturity to maturity if we're going to, if we're going to do what God wants us to do and be who God wants us to be. We have to be able to follow through on our commitments. We have to be able to delay gratification. We have to be able to sacrifice ourselves for something bigger than ourselves. We have to be able to be providers and not just takers we have to be able to reproduce our character in others and allow it to live long after we're gone. Those are the five challenges I'm setting before you as a church today. That is what we need to do. And that is exactly God's general and specific will for us all. You say, man, that's a lot. You're asking a lot of me here. No, those things happen naturally when you're walking with Jesus. That's the natural thing when you're walking with Jesus. God is far more interested in you being an adult than you are. He is far more invested in your family, in your life, in your part in his kingdom than you know. And as Rodney and Adam Tipton, Adam Tipton, as a matter of fact, is being a producer. He's got the Emmaus Walk going on. He's running that. He, he is not here. But um, uh, as we go on Tuesday, we need your prayers. Because uh, if we're producing and producing and, and, and everything like this, we need to be filled too, and we need to be filled with your prayers and the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so in the tradition of Catalyst, I'm going to ask John Kelly, where are you, John? Uh, JK. Right there. Okay, cool. Um, I'm going to ask him to lead us in prayer. Rodney, um, we're, we're going to be in the middle here. We, at, when we send someone out on the mission field to the mission field, um, we gather around as a prayer uh, and pray for them. We lay hands on like Acts 13 verse 2 says to do, um, and, uh, and we're going to end that way. So if you will join Rodney and I in the middle there. and Everybody go ahead and feel free to come on back here and if, you, if you'd like. Um, I just want to say that it's been several years since Dave's even been able to go to India thanks to COVID and everything else that's been going on. So this trip is, is big in a lot of ways because not only are, are they going to do this amazing ministry, but they're getting to go back to a place that's missed having people there. And um, I know Adam, if he was here right now, he would be so excited about what's going on. Um, so we're going to pray for these guys. We're going to pray for impact. But uh, we're also going to pray for impact on these guys, that they come back different than they did when they left. And so if you guys just lay hands on these guys and let's all pray together. God, thank you so much for, uh, for Dave and Rodney and Adam and their willingness to fork out money, to uh, jump on a plane right at 30 hours, to go to a country where they don't speak the language, to spread your word with, with no desire to get anything back but to only serve. 
Uh, God, I pray that they serve well. I pray that they're received well, and I pray that the Holy Spirit moves while they're there, that lives are changed, that, uh, that people come to the, the only saving faith they can through Jesus Christ, and I pray they come in droves. God, I pray that they equip the men and women who are there to do ministry after they leave, and that, Father, that place just keeps exploding with new churches. God, you're so good. We love you, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You guys have a great week.